Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and in addition to podcasting, I'm a leadership coach, a mastermind facilitator, a best-selling author, and a speaker. I love taking these nonprofit leadership topics on the road. So if you need someone at your next conference, just go to patmcdowell.com and click on the new speaking page for more information. Now, I know you're going to enjoy this fascinating conversation I had with Eric Ressler. Eric is the talented founder and creative director of Cosmic, which is a social impact creative agency based in the San Francisco Bay Area. And we jump right into the concept of the attention economy. Now, what does that mean? And how does it affect your nonprofit organization? And more importantly, what can you do to better communicate your nonprofit message given all of the noise? Well, that's exactly what Eric is here to help with. He's seen the struggles of many nonprofit organizations trying to exist in a very crowded space. He has ideas and resources that are going to help your nonprofit excel. Lots of reasons to check out the show notes for this episode. It's number 175. Just go to the new podcast page at patmcdowell.com and you'll find out all of the resources Eric and I discuss, as well as more information on the great work he's doing through his cosmic agency with nonprofit organizations all over the country. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Eric Ressler. Eric, thank you for joining me on the path. I'm so happy to be here today. I'm excited about this conversation because you're going to both educate me and our listeners about this fascinating concept of the attention economy, and in particular, the ramifications on nonprofit organizations and their leaders, and then you know what they can do about it, You know the implications and how they can address the issues that are related to attention economy. So let's start with that, Eric, literally. What is the attention economy and how does it affect nonprofit organizations? The way I like to think about the attention economy is to really think about how it aligns with this technological transformation that we've, uh, many of us today have lived through, which is kind of the advent of the internet and especially social media and connectivity channels. And what that transformation has really led to is an abundance of information for most people in the world, not everyone, but for a lot of people in the world and more and more people in the world every single day, especially through smartphones. And so uh, information used to be scarce and siloed and uh, gate kept by certain authorities. And that still happens sometimes, but there's never been a time in the world where there's been more accessibility to more information. And what that's led to is a new scarcity, which is our attention as humans, capturing our attention, sustaining our attention, breaking through all of the noise in our digital channels is a new challenge that we're all trying to figure out how to integrate into our lives. And I think it has huge implications if you are a nonprofit leader or a social impact leader trying to figure out how can you capture the attention of the right people in a sustained, authentic, and meaningful way in order to move your mission forward. Yeah, I cannot wait to unpack this because I could not agree more. You and I were talking before we started recording about books. One of my favorites is one called Deep Work by Cal Newport. And 
So the implications of not just the donors or the constituencies we're trying to reach, I guess, and their attention, but also our own productivity and focus, right? I guess the attention economy has a direct impact on our approach. And, and I guess you're seeing that as well. Yeah. Also a big fan of Cal and, um, you know, a lot of his philosophies around deep work. I think that we're all grappling with this in different ways. Um, our smartphones and our digital devices are literally hijacking our attention and yes. to a degree changing our brains and our psychology and how we interact with the world. And I think we're all trying to figure out um, to different degrees how to integrate that into our lives skillfully because it is a double-edged sword. In certain ways, the new technology is leading to all these awesome opportunities around how we work and live and connect and share ideas and so much good has come from it. And then, of course, on the flip side, um, you know, just like any new technology, it can also be used for really evil, horrible things, um, which we've seen politically, which we've seen personally. And I think we're really trying to figure out how do we integrate this into our lives. So, you know, I think we all have to kind of figure this out for ourselves around how this technology should be integrated into our personal lives and our professional lives on an individual level. But we also need to look more structurally around how can we create technology that works for us instead of takes advantage of us. And there's a lot of things that go into that that's probably outside the scope of this conversation to a degree around the ethics of technology and the ethics of especially social media and how those are used in our society and where the guardrails should be, who and and to what extent they should be, you know, regulating these technologies. But I think what it means, regardless of how that all plays out, if you're a social impact leader, is you've got to find a way to break through all of that noise and to reach the people that matter to you. And depending on what kind of organization you're working with, if you're a grassroots you know, advocacy organization, you need to reach a lot of people and build a movement and build a coalition. And the strategies for that are going to be very different than if you're working, you know, higher up in systems level work and really trying to influence a small subset of influencers or policymakers or whatever it is. But in general, we make change by coming together and we come together by communicating with one another, one another, sharing ideas, exchanging ideas, new perspectives, new technologies, new points of view. And largely, especially today, this is happening through digital channels and so much of culture is being shaped through these channels. And so that leads to a whole kind of reframing, I think, around how to think about building a brand, building a communications and content strategy as a nonprofit or a social impact organization. And how you can do that in a way that is authentic and not just, you know, flashy or trendy or transactional, right. transactional in the sense of, you know, just uh, essentially kind of like leveraging these tools just to create outcomes and not really thinking about authentic connection and conversation with your community. Uh, you've got my wheels turning, Eric, in many ways. And you're right. We might have to do another episode on the ethics of some of this technology because you're right. That is a wide open, wild, wild west kind of scenario. But again, I uh, love how you're bringing this topic to the point of it's here. And as a nonprofit leader, we need to adapt and maximize it to achieve our mission. Um, but before we unpack it more, of course, I want to hear about your story. You are a, a fascinating combination of technology and philanthropy. What 
what led you to uh, or along this journey that brought you to the work you do now? Well, I'll take you back even to my early childhood and just having an affinity and an innate curiosity around basically art and creativity. And so as a child, I spent a lot of time playing music, uh, drawing, working on photo and video projects, and and ultimately um, being exposed to to digital mediums, largely through graphic design and web design. And that really rung a bell for me in the sense that I, I really appreciated art and creativity, but I especially create, um, I really, what got me going at the end of the day was being able to create things the way that I saw them in my mind's eye and digital tools allowed me to do that to a much better degree than, you know, with pen and paper, so to speak. And don't get me wrong. I love art for the sake of art. And I have huge amounts of respect for traditional artists um, because it's such an amazing skill to have that I never was able to develop or never developed. And so that really kind of led me into the world of essentially design in, in a broader category. And the thing that I appreciate so much about design is that it's this beautiful combination of art and function. And design can create huge change in the world and still be emotionally charged and artistic. And I just think that's such an interesting combination that I don't think there's really anything else that does that. I guess music would maybe be the only kind of corollary right. there. Right. Um, regardless, that got me on this kind of creative path. And as I worked towards um, adulthood, started essentially freelancing and doing it for a living, went to design school, pretty promptly dropped out of design school and just started working essentially and doing freelance work ultimately led to starting an agency. And that was about, let's see, 13 years ago now that I started Cosmic. Uh, at the beginning, we were really focused just on design in the broader sense. We're based in Santa Cruz, California, near Silicon Valley. So we were doing a lot of startup and B2B work. And then ultimately realized after kind of cutting our teeth doing that work that we needed to niche in and, and find a purpose and find a stake in the ground that we could really rally around as an organization. And at that point, for a number of reasons, we kind of chose to to niche in and doing social impact work. Nice. And what well, talk about that? What literally for your ideal social impact client? What kind of work do you do? So we we do a broad range of work, and and we think a lot about this term social impact and and why we use that term. When we chose the term, it, it wasn't nearly as popular as it is today. There was a lot of buzz around kind of purpose driven and. Um, you know, that's not that's gone away or anything. But the problem that we have with that language of purpose driven is that we were starting to see already at that time, a lot of corporations and mega corporations kind of trying to find purpose in their work and use purpose marketing to attract uh, business to attract talent and candidates. But it felt like it was being muddied by bad faith efforts and not always true to the real kind of core reason behind being purpose driven. And at the same time, there's all of these, you know, countless organizations, many of which are nonprofits, but also social enterprises, B Corps, funders, government entities that exist to move humanity forward above profit, right? That is their purpose. And social impact just really felt like it was a better term to describe that and allowed us to not say we only work with nonprofits because yeah. we do see that some of these intractable problems are going to require work from many sectors. It's going to require public sector, private sector, 
you know, all these different players to come together to solve some of these problems. So we didn't want to limit ourselves to only working with people who file their taxes a certain way. I think we do have a authentic and, you know, fairly deep vetting process to make sure that at the end of the day, the organizations that we're supporting and partnering with align with our ethics and feel authentic to whatever cause it is that they are working to solve. And so we spend time looking at, you know, if you're working towards this issue area, have you first looked internally to see, are you actually perpetuating some of the systemic issues that you're trying to solve as an organization? Right. So it gets, it gets a little bit um, tricky at times, frankly. And so, and at the same time, like we're not here to be, um, some kind of arbiter or purity test. So I think that is, again, a little bit of an art. But we do want to make sure that organizations that we're partnering with and supporting are authentically doing good, their intentions are good, and their outcomes are good, because just good intentions isn't enough. Um, and that they're looking at their own internal systems and internal impact around how they treat their team, their staff, the impacts they might have in their own communities, um, all of those kind of things as well. And again, not from a judgmental standpoint, but just a standpoint of really trying to ensure that we're partnering with folks that are doing the work authentically. Yeah, and, and your authenticity comes through, Eric, and it you've had some wonderfully and powerful partnerships with social impact organizations. And But I want to ask you about that because, again, in working with them, they're well-intentioned. You alluded to this, though, sometimes the technology uh, leads to transactional activity, especially around funding. And why do you think organizations struggle to find, grow, and and certainly maintain a, a source of particularly philanthropic dollars? So I think as with most was as with most kind of issues at this scale, there's systemic origins at play. And I think the systemic issue here is that a lot of these problems that these organizations exist to solve are underfunded across the globe, right? So they're they're these intractable problems. They're problems that government hasn't solved on its own. The corporate sector hasn't solved on its own. And so, you know, nonprofits or social enterprises stand up to try and fill those gaps. But those gaps usually exist because of a lack of funding or societal prioritization around those issues, even, and I would say even often, the issues that are actually most important to solve in our society. And so because they're already underfunded in general, there's not government funding, there's not enough private equity in this issue because maybe it doesn't have market-based returns that are attractive to traditional venture capitalists, you know, organizations are forced to get creative around how to fund it. So they look at different approaches. Some come up with market-based approaches where capitalism comes into play to help, you know, sell products or services to fund it or, um, you know, looking at gifts or grants, right. From either institutional foundations or from, you know, individual funding or grassroots funding. So we've seen all these different models, um, stood up over, you know, for for a long time, but uh, newer models coming in the last decade, I would say. And the problem with that is these organizations have to find ways to essentially do the work, what we call the boots on the ground work, which is a metaphor. It's not always literally happening on the ground. It might especially recently be happening a lot through digital channels. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But doing the kind of what would traditionally be called program work 
but also funding the infrastructure required to do that program work well, which includes, you know, what would traditionally be called overhead, which is really just paying your team and having the proper tools and equipment and relationships in place to do the work effectively. Um, and that's not an easy job. And so I think fundraisers, development directors, whatever the title might be within any particular organization, have a tough, uh, a tough challenge. It's not easy work. So they have to get creative. And sometimes that, you know, they have um, goals and often those goals are aggressive, if not potentially unrealistic. And so they have to get creative and that creativity um, or an attempt to be creative can sometimes actually do the opposite and lead to, well, we know this is safe. We know this works. So we're going to do this thing. Um, This is the way it's always been done. So we're going to do this thing or, hey, this cheap tactic works. So we have to do it to hit our goals for the quarter short term, um, you know, the, right. The yeah. Short term. Right. Yeah. And not, not being able to hold the long view. And then in, in doing that kind of hurting the reputation, if not the relationship with the core people that you really need support from. Uh, I think the most egregious example of this that I think we could probably all relate to in the last few years is just the atrocious diminishing of value of political campaign emails and just how urgent fear-based and disrespectful they've become across the board around really just being really transactional and not looking at the long-term view. And the reason that happens is because to a degree it works. And so rather than developing these longer sustained relationships with your supporters, with your donors, organizations know they can essentially scare people into giving them money and they can get more money quickly. But eventually that leads to kind of cause burnout from your supporters. Yeah, not I unsubscribed, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I personally unsubscribed from almost every political campaign, even the ones I really support, yeah. just because I don't feel valued as a supporter. I feel like I'm a transaction. I'm a wallet. And there are, you know, examples of organizations who do a better job at that, but I would say they're definitely in the minority. Yeah, well, you're right on target in many ways. And it leads, I think, to a listener question is, all right, Eric, how do I cut through this noise? You know, given the volume that you have absolutely convinced us exists. So how do I get my message out as a nonprofit through this incredible volume of content? that's being thrown at everybody. So I think there's there's a lot to to the answer that, but I'll try and break it down to sure. some key concepts, right? So I think the first concept is acknowledging and accepting and understanding that we're playing in this attention economy because if you don't acknowledge that, then you're not going to you don't even know what court you're on, right? So I think that's kind of fundamental to the rest of our views. Another big thing that we see organizations struggle with is is kind of finding their lane, like figuring out and the the metaphor we like to use is figuring out within your ecosystem, what niche are you going to own? Like, what is the thing that you are strongest at as an organization and how can you lean into that and really own that niche as an organization? In the business world, this would just be called positioning, right? How do you position yourself in the market? Right. And so I think a lot of organizations maybe start there um, and their origin story might kind of land them there. But as a very common um, trap to fall into as a social impact organization is kind of mission creep or mission drift, because you might 
start to see the system at play and how all the different parts of the system are broken. And you might be tempted to try and fix those parts too. And sometimes maybe you need to, because no one else is stepping up to do it. But I think a lot of times there's other organizations that are stronger at fixing that part. And maybe we should let them do it and partner with them instead of trying to take that on too. And really just double down on the part we're really good at as an organization. I think also this can happen with funding and the way funding is structured. You get a grant and the donors, um, you know, values or uh, initiatives start to supersede those of your organization. Right. And so you have to right. kind of spin up this whole new arm to the business, so to speak, that is um, maybe not totally aligned with your skill set or capacity or even your real mission, if you really get honest about it. So there's a lot of reasons this happened. And, and I don't think it's ever in bad faith for the most part. I think it's just it's a natural tendency um, to try and fix things and take things on when you care about the work that you're doing, but it can sometimes backfire. So I think really like owning that niche in the ecosystem, getting clear about that, making sure your team is clear about it, making sure your messaging and your story reinforces that and it's consistent. So that's those are some fundamentals. Then you kind of have to build on those fundamentals. And I think the way that we think about this and we, we come at this from a design and communication standpoint is building a solid brand, building solid messaging framework and foundation and an impact story that's really clear and concise and captivating. So that's fundamental as well. And then having the whole kind of ecosystem of tools from a communication standpoint that you need to reach people. So a really solid, what we would call digital hub or website that is the home base for your communication, your content this conversation that you're having all the time with your supporters, having a clear distribution strategy. How are you going to reach the people you need to reach? What channels work for you? Which social channels work for you? How can you make sure that that's optimized? And really taking all of that in a holistic view and integrating it into your work and not thinking of it as something that happens after the work is done. Well, when you first arrived in, in again, well-intentioned social impact organization, do you find sometimes you're pruning the message where we got too many messages? And then secondary question, are they trying to, to, to communicate across too many platforms? You know, I feel like a lot of nonprofit leaders I talk to are, you know, they're just jumping with the next shiny social media object. And I wonder if you could comment both on sharpening our message and are we trying to do too much? I think yes is the short answer to both of those. And we've seen it in, in different ways show up. A couple big mistakes we see from a messaging standpoint are trying to create one message for everyone. And in the process, essentially creating no messages for no one. Right. So if you try to create a story that is relevant to everyone that you're trying to reach, then it ends up becoming kind of over intellectualized, watered down. I mean, there's a, a number of ways this can go wrong. Um, and I think so we spent a lot of time really defining who are the audiences that we're trying to reach and like what are the key messaging points that we really want to make sure we get across to those specific audiences. Um, so that's that's one big mistake we see people make. And then the second one would be thinking that the story is about your organization because the story is really not about you. It's about how you can help your supporters create the change that you're all working towards. And so there's a lot of different frameworks that kind of, this is really kind of marketing 101. Right, you don't tell, right. you don't talk about yourself. You talk about how you help the people that you're trying to reach. But in the social impact space, um, that message has not been touted nearly as clearly. And so people think about, well, we need to tell our story. We need to tell like, you know, 
our impact story. And it's really more about we need to tell people how them getting involved is going to help create change in the world. And even that slight kind of paradigm shift can really make a huge difference from a messaging perspective. Well, and just to underscore that, so you're saying a lot of organizations tend to, to speak to the attributes, I guess, of their organization versus lifting up those they serve. Or in other words, tactically, does that lead to we, we need more testimonials from those we serve? And then I guess you're saying that we want to connect the potential funder in this case to see how their investment will serve those that you know we're trying to serve. Yeah, you're 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 right on. So I think let's just take the common nonprofit marketing website as an example. Homepage talks about your mission. You have a drop down that talks about your programs and what they do. It, you have a team page that talks about your staff and your board and all that yeah. content. You know, it's yeah. good content. We need that content. But that's not the front door or it shouldn't be. The front door should be, hey, welcome. Here's what we believe in. Will you join us? Here's how you can get involved and help. And that's going to look different for different organizations. But we want that. And, you know, this this goes beyond just the marketing website. But let's stay on this track for a second to get all specific. Right. You know, we want that marketing website to be an actual agent of change for your work, not a digital brochure, not something that just tells your story, which is the, the thing that people think they need to do. Again, that part's important, but it's not the full purpose of that. And it's not the right way to introduce yourself. And even just think about when you have a conversation, you're meeting someone new, do you just start diving into talking about yourself and not asking them any questions about yeah. who they are and what exactly. they're looking for, right? It needs to be an open dialogue. And we see so many closed dialogues in this space. Again, there's a lot of reasons why I'm not here to judge people trying to do good work in the nonprofit space or the social impact space. But those are the kind of things that we're really trying to help clients understand. And when you kind of frame things that way, it gets rid of this transactional feeling that people might have through your website, through your emails, through your social channels, where you feel like you're being used or leveraged instead yeah. of invited. And instead of people essentially at the end of the day, yes, they want to see these issues solved and or, or progress, meaningful progress made towards these issues. But on top of that, or maybe even more importantly than that, they want to feel like they're part of helping solve it, right? Not that they're just writing a check and you're getting it done, but that they're actually joining a community of supporters who are helping to create the change they want to see. Are you optimistic, Eric, as you look to the future of this type of, again, you frame the marketing philosophies beautifully in terms of, I think, what we need to think about as we communicate our organization. But I wonder, are, are are you optimistic about the trends in this space? And what is the future of this kind of social impact fundraising? Yeah, I, I'm definitely optimistic. I mean, I think things are never going to just get better all at once. Like right, as right, much as right. things are getting better, there's other parts that are getting worse, you know, nod back to the political campaign fundraising emails that we're all tired of at this point. But I think what I'm optimistic about is even when we started, like we were often kind of having to convince people that this work was worth it. I don't see that nearly as much these days. Maybe that's because of how we've changed and the kind of folks that we're talking to have already kind of tried this a couple of times and, and failed usually by the time they get to us. Um, but I think even beyond that, just people understand the value of this work a lot more now. Um, I think that transformation accelerated through the pandemic and that kind of digital acceleration that we went through 
that we were already on that trajectory, but you know, it, it accelerated much more rapidly during the early days of the pandemic, especially. Um, but I think the bar for communications and branding and design in the social impact space is getting, you know, higher and higher every day. And I personally feel really good about that. And, and, you know, I'm proud to say that that's something that we're working towards. There's a number of other folks and professionals and agencies like us in the industry doing really good work and helping with that too. And I just think it's so important because our sector deserves good design, good messaging, good communications, more so than the private sector, I would say, that usually gets the cream of the crop in that regard. Yeah. yeah. And well, and again, you're leading the way. And it seems to me a big part of what you're doing to help the sector is creating a collaborative environment. I guess, is that among the things you want to see more of, you know, that it's not kind of isolated, I guess, organizationally, whether it be corporate or nonprofit? Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I, I think that shows up even in how we approach doing the work with clients. Um, but I think there needs to be more transparent sharing of ideas and successes and failures in philanthropy, because a lot of times, given that so much of this work is funded by donations, failures get kind of, you know, locked up and hidden away because it means we didn't do it right. And I think we really need to change our way of thinking that we need to get, especially for some of these intractable problems, we need more risk capital. Capital. We need more people doing things differently, taking big bets and even losing sometimes. Because if we keep trying to do things the same way, we're not going to make progress quickly enough to solve some of these issues. Yeah, well put. And speaking of, of uh, analyses that I think have been misguided and one I know you and I agree upon is the use of uh, funders looking at overhead or the percentage right. of funding to overhead. But I, I take it you're, are you still seeing that as a lens through which people are judging nonprofit organizations? Yeah. Deep sigh. I don't know if that came through. Um, <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's shifting. Um, it's definitely not dead yet. And I don't think it's a metric that is meaningless. Like I think it is a metric that is one of many metrics, probably not the most important one in almost every case to look at if you're looking at the effectiveness of any given organization. Um, and I don't think it means that we shouldn't have standards and impact reporting and impact data to judge the effectiveness of ideas that we try and individual organizations working towards making change. But I think what's happened is that, you know, some of this work can be hard to measure. Often there's not budget to measure, which is kind of crazy. Um, and then so the thing that's really easy to measure is your overhead. And that's become this kind of standard, this benchmark. Uh, I think especially, I'll be clear, like I think it's actually perpetuated both by funders and nonprofits. Um, so it's not just funders to blame here. Um, but, you know, it, it's something that I think is changing. Like we're seeing a lot more unrestricted funding. Um, we're seeing a lot more funding that isn't, requiring as much arduous reporting and gatekeeping around getting funds. And I think that's generally good. I, I think where it hasn't changed yet is I still think small dollar donors, which is term I don't love, but I think most people understand they still, people who are not in philanthropy um, professionally, but still give to causes, still look at that as they've been trained that that is what you should look for or one right. of the main things you should look for. I think we need to, as a sector, do better at educating 
the general population that that's not the only or best way to judge the effectiveness of any given organization. Yeah, excellent point. And you're right. And, and unfortunately, a few bad apples, I think, within the sector, which have inappropriate you know, funding, perhaps, of overhead elements um, yep. uh, have hurt the credibility of, of the huge majority who are absolutely working within an appropriate framework of funding. In fact, are underfunding yep. their operations, right, and not investing in what they need to do. And by the way, we wonder why there's such a turnover in this right. sector, yeah. <laughs> because we're not willing to pay, you know, not just compensation, but I guess you know, and and you, of course, have been a great model of this too. I I noticed, Eric, you, you you've operated a four day work week and some things like that. And and I'm guessing, um, not directly related to nonprofit, but maybe it is related. That it's important to invest in your team and things like that to assure you can have long term success. Yeah, absolutely agree. And again, all kinds of structural issues leading to where we are today. But if we want to attract the best and brightest people in this field, they need to be paid market rate yep. and it needs to be competitive. And someone who's, you know, a Harvard grad should not have to choose between a, a small, a, a comparatively much smaller salary to be an executive director versus going and consulting at McKinsey or something, right? Like, right, right. and, you know, that's not an easy thing to solve. I'm not going to say I have the answer to that again, because it is structural, but, um, I think this we get caught in this starvation cycle in the sector, and um, we have to find a way to break out of it. I think a lot of people are working hard to figure out how to do that, both on the kind of nonprofit social impact side as well as the funder side to try and fix some of these structural issues. But um, yeah, I think there are ways you can do that without having a ton of funding too. Um, yeah, we've been doing a four-day work week since 2014. Wow. Um, so I, I don't know. How many companies were doing it at that point? We could only find a couple examples of it at the time. It's become much more popular. Um, that's something I would highly recommend nonprofit social impact organizations take a look at. There's a lot of data to suggest, and, and I can vouch to the fact that we have not seen any any downsides from a productivity standpoint. Uh, if anything, only upsides. And not to say it's easy because we we do a lot of work. Um, each week and it requires a lot of intention and thought behind how we structure our time we're very efficient and effective in our in our time blocking and scheduling as an organization but we do creative work and creative work happens when you're not working a lot of times right yes. so yes. in certain ways we're kind of maximizing our team members ability to rest recharge percolate on ideas live life often where ideas come from lived experience not sitting and staring at a screen and I think especially for organizations that are doing social impact work, especially if you're on the front lines, so to speak, or dealing with really uh, emotional, heavy, traumatic work, you got to give people time to rest and recharge, or you're just not getting the best out of your people and you're burning them out yeah. and they're not going to be happy. They're going to start to look for other places. So even if you can't raise compensation, look at cutting work hours and keeping compensation the same. And I think you'll be surprised how much that can make a difference. Excellent point. And one that I think uh, any listener, a nonprofit leader needs to take to heart. And 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 you and I get it. You have to cover, you know, there are nonprofit organizations that have staffing or, or programmatic elements that they have to staff even seven days a week. But right. you can still uh, adopt some of the philosophic approach you've taken, Eric. And I think it's absolutely on target productivity goes up. And I would almost guarantee that you probably have retained your team 
uh, and will retain them longer because of the culture you've created. Yeah, you know, I don't have an A-B test on that because we haven't run a, a parallel agency with a five-day work week. But anecdotally, I can say that it's one of the biggest things our team values. Um, and I think it helps us with attracting and retaining talent. And, you know, it's not for everyone. It's not a silver bullet. And there might be some people who would prefer to to work a more relaxed five-day week. You know, yeah, I think right, we're all right. rethinking how work could and should happen right now. And so I would just encourage um, social impact organization leaders to get creative about that. Uh, fantastic. Uh, Eric, I, I guess the final kind of topic I want to run by you, maybe this is somewhat review, but in terms of uh, an organization that wants to sharpen its messaging communication, uh, final piece of advice. In other words, I'm looking back at my notes. You talk about making sure that website, your platform, your portal is designed to be a communication channel. But are there other things? I know Cosmic would get into a much deeper process if you're working with my organization. But general advice, you would say like, hey, sharpen your message, make sure your website's clean or things like that. I'll go like a bigger picture for this answer because I think it's going to be more helpful to more people. And I think looking at the world like a designer is a really interesting way to look at the world. And I think two kind of key guiding principles that guide a lot of our work as designers would be empathy and curiosity. And if you can approach problems from the lens of those two concepts, I think that's going to lead to much more interesting and effective solutions. Yeah, love that. Well, and it it leads to, you know, final question I ask all my guests is like, all right, if you had advice for someone in or considering nonprofit leadership, would those be two characteristics, I guess, Eric, that you would say they need to think about? I think that's, I think those are good life principles, honestly. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. But yeah, I do think, um, I think both of those, uh, uh, those principles are really important for leadership. Is it fair to say that of the the social impact organization leaders, the best ones you work with, I'm guessing those characteristics are evident? I would say absolutely true. And not that those are the only important characteristics, but I can't think of a single effective nonprofit leader or social impact leader that that we've worked with that haven't been really strong on those two. Yeah. Eric, it's fantastic. Um, Lots of good information, you know, on a philosophic level, a strategic level, and even tactical. And for that, I'm grateful and know our listeners are benefiting um, you got, you know, there's a few more things I need to do before I let you go. One is a book recommendation. Uh, every guest has offered something and I know you've got a good idea or two. So tell us what would, might you recommend maybe a book that's been meaningful to you on your journey? Yeah. So I'm going to go with a fiction recommendation here, which might not be <laughs> totally common, uh, but maybe it is. No I don't problem. know. Um, I absolutely loved the red rising series by Pierce Brown, kind of a sci-fi world building space opera style book uh, or series of books. I think he's, I think five, maybe six on the way. Um, Really good. In my opinion, great writing, really captivating, really great escapism for when times are hard. And I think when you're doing this work, you gotta, you gotta escape sometimes. And, you know, I love reading um, kind of business books, philanthropy books, um, you know, productivity books too, and podcasts, of course, but Sometimes you just got to escape and, you know, get outside of the real world a little bit and let your imagination run wild, too. And I feel like the Red Rising series was exceptionally awesome at that. 
love that both the specific recommendation and your point that we all need to perhaps get out of our day-to-day grind right uh, and find ways to let our brains unplug and and i'm sure you as a consummate creative that's what i'm, I'm guessing fuels your creativity for sure yeah absolutely all right eric where can people find out more about you and the great work you're doing through cosmic designbycosmic.com is the website url and I'll point to a couple of key things on the site. One, we published a manifesto a couple of years ago that kind of outlines a lot of what we talked about today in more detail, the attention economy, you know, niche and ecosystem, some of these key concepts. So if you're interested, check it out. It's on the website. You can also get it uh, in podcast format. We call it the revolution is digital. And so if you search for that, you'll see um, a world in our cosmic logo. That's how you know you're on the right one. And then we also have an insights section of the website where we publish a lot of more tactical like articles, white papers, resources, all for free. So if you're wanting to get started on your own on this stuff, there's a lot of good content that we've put together as a team and with partners to try and really kind of do our best at like sharing our perspectives and learnings and, and insights in doing this work. So hopefully that's helpful for the audience as well. That's fantastic. Uh, Eric, thank you again. We will lift it up and link it in the show notes uh, around this episode. And for that and everything else you've offered our listeners, thank you for joining me on the path. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Eric as much as I did and came away with a better understanding of the attention economy and perhaps how your nonprofit organization can better thrive in this environment. Don't forget to check out the show notes. They are available on our website, PattonMcDowell.com. You can find out more about Eric and all of the resources at his social impact agency called Cosmic. As always, thanks for sharing this episode with just one other person on the path. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe to this podcast. Go to the podcast page at PattonMcDowell.com. You'll see the follow button and follow equals subscribe. You won't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday. And if you like this one, click on the Episodes button. That's at the top of the page. You can scroll through thumbnails of some of our most popular episodes, or you can search by topic or guest name. Thanks, as always, for what you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week. I'll see you next time on The Path.